so we are together again. This is episode 113 of the Interior Integration for Catholics podcast. I'm Dr. Peter. I am really excited to have with me today the lead navigator of the Resilient Catholics community, Marion Morelands. Welcome, Marion. It's so good to have you with us. I'm glad you could be here tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be here. So what Marion and I have been talking about, Marion had this idea. The well, and I well, originally I had an idea to like just have an an opportunity at the end of this series that we started on anger for individuals, our listeners, to just ask us anything about that series, anything that happened in there. You might have questions about things that came up, things that you'd like to share. But as Marion and I were discussing how to kind of open this, Marion had this idea. And so share your idea with us, Marion, because I really loved it. So, yeah. Well, as I looked back through all the podcasts, I saw a lot of things about our anger directed outward. But what struck me as I started to think about doing a podcast on anger was noticing parts in me that are uncomfortable when people get angry and they go a long ways to try avoid anger. And so my suggestion to, to Dr. Peter was that when we do this, that maybe it would be a nice opportunity for people listening to be able to see what it looks like when we're talking about unblending from a part. So I'm volunteering myself as a bit of a guinea pig <laughs> and I'm putting my trust in Dr. Peter, uh, <laughs> knowing that I'm safe, but to give you a little bit of an opportunity of what that looks like, at least in, for my, in my world, working with Dr. Peter. So this is what we call in IFS circles a demo, which is short for demonstration. And it's something that IFS therapists do frequently with each other. This isn't a role play. It's not like we're going to be acting out some sort of script or whatever. This is the real kind of material, but it's not therapy. We don't do therapy on this podcast or in Souls and Hearts. It's not a clinical service, but it is a demonstration to give you a feeling of what this actually looks like. And we have an invitation for you because, you know, I will be in one role, Marion will be in another role, but you actually have a role in this too. You, you are in the role of the observer. And that's a really unique opportunity to observe what's happening, not so much between Marion and me, but what's going on inside your own system, what's happening with your own parts as parts begin to resonate or parts begin to polarize with something that's happening between Marion and me. So as Marion and I do this, this, this piece of work, you're going to have an opportunity to just notice what it brings up for you. And so, so it's a really neat possibility, a really neat opportunity. And then we can bring up like what your reactions were, questions were, whatever. Most of the time will be dedicated to that opportunity to just share and discuss. So Marion, I'm just curious, anything that, that you think we should mention before we, we kind of open this up? Um, I'm just glad that you mentioned the importance of the role of the observer, 
there's, I think there's two things. One is noticing what's happening in your own system, but the other, the other piece of it is holding space for the work that is happening. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, to that regard, as you're doing that, I really appreciate that space that you're holding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. So, um, so Marion, I'm just, as we begin, I'm just going to invite you to know that there is no pressure, no obligation to go in any particular direction with any of this. And I want you to know that I really am going to be focused on safety and protection. Really, that's first, just a sense of safety, a sense of being protected. And if this happens to go in some direction that, you know, after we're done recording, that you have parts that are concerned about that, we don't have to broadcast any of this, right? We don't have to save the recordings. Just really want you to know that this space and this time and this place, we we think first of, of about it being a place that's good a place that's that's uh, compassionate, a place that's comfortable for your parts. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm just curious if there is anything that you're noticing coming up around safety and protection as we begin. Anything in your body? I can feel my heart thumping a bit, but mm-hmm. I, I don't doesn't feel like that's related so much to safety as just hmm, maybe maybe a part that has some performance anxiety that wants mm-hmm. to do a good job and wants <laughs> to do it right. Yeah, totally makes sense that you might have a part that wants to 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 quote do it right end quote. And what I'm going to say is, whatever happens, it's okay. We'll work with it. You know, there aren't any external standards that that we have to impose on this. There's a lot of freedom for parts to be able to work in a way that is good and right for them, you know. And we really want to make sure that we don't steamroll any parts or that we don't do anything that would coerce parts because we want to have a we want to have a relationship that's based on trust and connection and on a sense that what's good for one part is actually good for all the parts. Yeah. The, the, that part is relaxing back as it hears that and it's okay with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's, they can, that part can always let us know how it's doing. And we're not, we're not asking any of your parts to go away. You know, we want to work in a way that's collaborative and cooperative with your parts. That's respectful. And I'm wondering, you know, kind of how you're doing right now. You as your innermost self, Marion, with this whole idea of anger. Just curious what you're noticing inside. Well, before you got to that anger word, I was feeling, you know, pretty <laughs> self-led. <laughs> uh-huh. 
And then anger comes up and it's like, just, can I just pull back and hide? Yeah. Yeah. So you're noticing a sensation inside pulling back and hiding. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And I'm wondering if you have a sense of kind of interest in that, or if you feel really caught up in pulling back and hiding or in reacting to that, like just do you have a space to kind of be with that pulling back and hiding without having to change it or to make it different or anything like that? Yeah, um, definitely curiosity. Probably also a little bit of a, I don't know, therapist or thinking part that's like, <laughs> well, we know what your childhood was like. So, <laughs> well, we're going to ask that that part that might want to figure it out or analyze it or see if that part would be willing to just give you some space, just so that if that part is open, it could be in relationship with you, you as Marion, your innermost self. See if it, that would be okay, if that would feel okay for that, for that part that wants to try to figure it out or analyze it. Yeah, it, it, it's okay with that. It's used to being asked that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, a lot of it gratitude. It helps me a lot at other times, too. Yeah. So I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And, and we're grateful to that part because we know that the motivation is to try to help. You know, we know there's good motivations there. Yeah. Feels okay. So would it be okay to just be with that sensation of pulling back for you to be separate from it, but near and to just see where that leads? Quite a few memories come up mm -hmm. pretty quickly mm -hmm. of people in my family. Alcoholism was a big thing for grandparents, and there was always arguing. Mm -hmm. And my parent, well, my mom followed, followed along that arguing path pretty well, mm -hmm. and I just wanted out of the way. Okay. So there's there's something here about anger and arguing. And I'm wondering if you can like see that part, sense that part in some way yet, or if it feels too hidden, far away for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I can see the part. Okay. And would it be okay, just asking, 
would it be okay for that part to look at you, you as Marion, your innermost self, or does that seem like it's too, too much? No, she's, she's okay with that. Mm-hmm. She's a little surprised because mm-hmm. she's kind of used to being unseen. Mm-hmm. Well, let her know that she can decide how close or how far away she wants to be. She can hide if she wants to. She's actually sitting in the corner of a room. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of sat down with her. Mm-hmm. Just kind of hanging out. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to rush anything, but Maybe there's a way, and I really trust you, Marianne, to know how to do this because just sense that you have that self-energy and that recollection right now, but to let her know in whatever way seems right that if she wants to share with you her story about anger, she's already started perhaps with some of these memories, but, but if she wants to share with you what she experienced and how she experienced and how she made sense of it that we we have some time for her to do that what about anger seems important for you to know she yeah she's just kind of sharing that it always felt so big like controlling and you never knew whether there'd be violence to follow or Uh, ruptures in the family so anger was dangerous yeah and and nobody seemed to hear each other like they they were just yelling and yelling and no one heard anything does this does this part ever come in contact with Parts of you that carry anger? I'm just curious about Mm -hmm. how that works within you. Huh. I hadn't, I don't know that I had ever looked at it that way. Okay. But Mm -hmm. I I had this awareness. And my my family will tell you that nine times out of ten, if I get angry, I end up crying. Okay. And yeah. and I think that's that that little one who just doesn't want the anger. Yeah. Because what what does she think it would say about you if you felt the anger? If the anger was in you somewhere then i'd be like them and you'd be like them yeah does that make sense to you that she would be afraid of that Mary? yeah well Mm -hmm. not not even necessarily afraid but like that's not what she wants (laughs) right and i feel like there's other parts that are kind of cheering in that to say no that was not the goal we did not want to be like that Right. It was really important not to be like that. Yeah. Let her know you get that, that it's really important not to 
not to be like what she experienced in some of those family members when they were taken over by parts that were angry. Yeah. I think she's also kind of showing me that as we've grown, there's a side that can be a little bit more hmm, tenacious mm-hmm. in, in not letting, you know, lo- not letting anger at least look like it's going to hurt her. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm just curious, and and it's not for today, but would that part be interested in getting to know parts of you that are tenacious or maybe parts of you that even feel or carry anger in your system? Would that be interesting ever to her? Or does that seem not, not a good idea or... I, I think she's open to it. And I will say it's not just because of today, but it's because I've done a fair amount of work with right. this. Like there's enough of a relationship there that I feel like we could probably do some really good work and she would feel a lot better. Huh. Cause she could come to, yeah, come to, connect if she wanted to if it felt okay and although that might not be the first thing she would think of you know but you know that those kind of possibilities exist when we work collaboratively and cooperatively within our systems you know with the self-leading and guiding you mean connect with self uh yeah like like she could be connected she could be connected with with self and then the part that carries anger or the tenacious parts would also be connected with self Okay. And then there could be a lot of safety there because yeah. parts are not going to overwhelm. Parts are not going to uh, take over, polarize, you know, enter into conflicts. And then, we, you know, the amazing thing is often parts can see the good intentions and the ways that other parts are trying to help. Yeah, yeah I think she's okay with that. Yeah. Again, we don't want to rush any of it, and we're not going to do that part today. Sure. Um, but um, but it might be something as parts kind of get to know each other that might be interesting for parts, you know. So, yeah. yeah. She feels like she's got a place. Yeah, that she that she belongs. Yeah, and 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 is seen. I think yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, does it feel like there's anything else that would be helpful as we kind of wind this little demo down um, for you, Marion, or for your parts? No, I think I think we're good. And, you know, thank you f- from me and my parts. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure to to get to know your parts. I always feel closer 
so people want to have a sense of their parts and uh yeah it's been a privilege to be allowed in you know and to be able to spend some time together so i'm grateful to your parts and i'm grateful for the ways that they've tried to help you and and uh and for the ways that they were willing to try some new things today so, and for the good work that you've been doing with them so feel so much more calm mm -hmm. like there's more space mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't feel like that part's like eating at my chest or mm -hmm. causing me to want to back away so you're able to notice that in your body too yeah i'm very i'm very like somatic i notice <laughs> a lot that's how i notice a lot that's where that's where you're going to notice a lot about anger. I really do believe that oftentimes our bodies hold a lot of anger. So, yeah. It's a lot of gratitude, you know. And if it's helpful to write things down, make a couple of notes, whatever. Um, or if it's helpful to set up a time with your parts to where you're going to revisit, you know, reconnect in your regular parts check-ins or your part sessions or your your work outside with another person you're you're welcome to do that too so. well the part of me that's in a cast is not going to write and going to be great <laughs> i suppose not <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so what i what i thought we might do is just to transition into um folks asking questions we have um lots of opportunities today we've got you know almost an hour left we had a couple of um folks write in questions but if there are questions that folks would like to answer you know you have the ability to unmute yourselves and to just ask you know or to, if you want to raise a hand either a physical hand or a or a um an electronic hand. hand a virtual hand yeah about anything that you know we've been covering in these episodes on on anger it could be from what happened today in this demo that marion and i just did could be about you know my parts from the last session because i shared a little bit about that uh, could be conceptual stuff just want to make sure that we have a lot of space for folks to do that so you're also welcome if you don't want to speak out loud you're also welcome to put them into the uh, chat box um and let us know uh, there. So, we did have a question that said aside from protection, would you discuss other reasons why angry parts are so afraid? Aside from protection, would you discuss other reasons why angry parts are so afraid? So did you want me to handle that one, Marion, or did you want to lead off on that? Well, I, I, I mean, I can give a little bit of an answer. Maybe you'll add on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. okay. um, you know, anger isn't really like our, it's, it's a surface emotion. There are so many emotions that are deeper than that. And that anger is afraid that something's going to happen. Like my shame is going to be shown. I'm going to be vulnerable. 
you're not going to love me. And, and so the, the anger is just the external way that we see it in so many people. You know, I can't show weakness because if I weakness, then I'm prey. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I love, I love what you're saying. And I really like the question that the way the question was worded that, you know, the, the, the person asking the question saw that angry parts are reacting to fear. So there's a chain here, right? The anger is a result of the fear and the fear is the result of something else too, because fear is also a reaction, right? So we're seeing two reactions, a fear reaction, then an anger reaction. But yeah, you brought up what parts are often concerned about shame, grief, guilt. There, there can be so many things being unloved, attachment needs not being met, integrity needs not being met. So I often will go back to really core needs because there's always a reason for those reactions. And if you get to know the parts, they will tell you if you develop a trusting relationship. And then we saw that in the demo, right? You were able to connect with your part, Marion, that was pulling back, you know, that you felt high up in your chest and it was able to share with you like what it was concerned about, what that part was concerned about. So one of the beautiful things about this kind of an approach is that we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to make interpretive statements. We don't have to, you know, analyze. We we, what we do is we develop relationships. We, we help create a sense of safety and then parts open up and they just tell us. Yeah, that question, that so much, how do I know whether this is a that or this is whatever? Just ask the part. <laughs> Just ask. Yeah, and if there's enough safety, if there's enough confidence in the system, if you're unblended enough, then the answers can come. But we also want to be patient. If they're not coming, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Um, and one of the things that's really important in working in the way that that we do is is to is to be patient with that you know we don't and to assume that there's reasons why things are happening the way that they're happening so it's not just random yeah i would add that in the demo that we were doing i will say that that young part we were working with it's an exiled part mm -hmm. which is not normally where we want to go to first but the only reason we can go there is because I have worked with the protectors around her. Mm -hmm. You know, that thinking part that wanted to come in and analyze it, it could tell you six ways from Sunday of all of the reasons, right? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of excuses, but not let me be in relationship with the part. Right, right. So we have, yeah. a, we have, we have a question here. My angry part doesn't feel like an exile. It feels more like a firefighter. Well, that makes perfect sense because most of the time, anger is threatening to some other parts. And so, yeah, it, you know, it can be both an exile and a firefighter. I find that to be a very common situation. But yeah, that it feels more like a firefighter when it's up, that, that makes sense. And, and the person goes on, when it comes out, it's bold and even aggressive. And can you speak to that scenario? So firefighters, their job is to distract, right? They react to exiles breaking out. So 
typically when you see firefighter parts getting really angry, bringing a lot of anger into the system, a lot of felt anger, it's because that anger is serving to distract from some experience that seems really, really threatening, something that an exile is carrying. And again, that could be shame or grief or a sense of loss or a sense of uh, the loss of a, a critical relationship or the potential loss of a critical relationship, something like that. And again, the, the process is, is, is the same, right? We want to be able to connect with parts in a way that's calm, in a way that's led by the innermost self, so that those parts can share with us their story. And then we can give them other options so that the goods that they seek for us can be had without maladaptive means, without harmful means. Do you have more that you wanted to add to that, Marian? That's uh... well. I was just thinking, um, Cece Sykes, who is a, a IFS trainer, and she does a lot of work around addiction. She has a triangle that she uses, and if you can imagine sort of an inverted triangle with self in the middle, and on the left side are managers, the right are firefighters, and at the bottom are the exiles. She points out that the managers do the blaming, the firefighters do the flaming. So there's where that flaming anger comes in and the exiles hold the shame. Mm-hmm. Now that's a real simple process. And, and mostly she's speaking towards addiction, but I think it applies in a lot of other areas where our firefighters are coming out. If I can't manage, if my managers can't avoid the situations that lead to anger, then maybe that anger is going to come out, right? And yeah, and then I'll have, you know, perhaps an exile connected to it, you know, and a part that's feeling vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like that animal, like a porcupine, that it puffs up its spines to keep it from feeling endangered, right? That's what that anger does. Yeah. So questions that folks have questions that they'd like to bring up. So we had we had a, a question from from Kim who wrote in and said, this was before uh, the meeting. She said, I've discovered unconscious anger toward God and others and have been listening to your podcasts and reading Jay Early's book, Working with Anger. And I have a couple of questions. Would you be able to discuss and provide a demonstration of a Catholic IFS approach to working with disowned anger and the unburdening of anger? And then regarding Jay Early's statement, you have the client sense where the anger is carried in the protector's body, and then the protector releases some of the anger to one of the elements, light, water, wind, earth, or fire. Can you please provide a Catholic view on releasing your anger? Okay. Well, this is a really great question because it gets to the question of how do we resolve anger, not just how do we manage it or how, how do we suppress it or how do we override it or how do we avoid it, but how do we how do we resolve it? And so my first thought on this is remember that anger is a response. St. Thomas Aquinas would say that anger is a response, an ordered response to injustice, to the perception of in, injustice. And so when I look at anger, I don't 
think about immediately releasing it. I think about let's get to what the cause is and unburden that first. If the anger is, you know, an intense reaction to feeling overwhelmed by grief, then I'm going to want to eventually get to the point where we can unburden parts from that grief or from shame or from whatever the burden is. And so then we can unburden the firefighter from that role of having to react so intensely or feeling that it has to react so intensely against whatever the 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 originating burden is the shame or the the grief or whatever you know this is one of those things that in ifs circles you'll sometimes hear too in unburdening that you release things to the four elements uh earth wind fire or earth water fire air and yeah i don't usually do that i i really check with the parts about how they would like to let go of things. And there's a whole wide variety of ways that things can be let go of. Um, I've had some, some clients, some people that I've worked with, give them to their guardian angels or lay them at the feet of the Blessed Virgin or send them down to the bottom of the sea. So there's a lot of ways that you can release things. That's more like a, it's more like a, a detail, really. The main thing is that that the role, the extreme role, or the the burden doesn't feel like it's necessary anymore. That's the really important thing, that the part feels free to be able to relinquish it. Because either the underlying problem isn't there anymore, at least not to the same degree, or they have another way of working with it, another way of managing, you know. So... That's kind of in a nutshell what um, what I would say in response to that question from Kim. Yeah, I would also add that unburdening. So I, I think that sometimes it does happen like when we're directly working with a protector or an exile. And, you know, we can kind of go through the process of doing whatever it is that part wants us to do with the burden. But I've also noticed, and maybe this is just one of those God things, is that the best unburdenings happen spontaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like all of a sudden you stop and you reflect on something and you're like, huh. That really would have made me angry. And I'm not feeling that now. Mm-hmm. That's that's the real unburdening. It's not the doing whatever. I, I, I did have a beautiful unburdening of laying it at the foot of the cross. And then I have a little pyromaniac that wanted to light it on fire and put fireworks in there. But that was like a little kid part, right? <laughs> but... But most of the time, it's just realizing that because I'm in relationship with those parts, I don't feel the need to carry the same things that they did. And they let go of them because they trust. Yeah. I like that point about spontaneous unburdenings. There are unburdening protocols that if you do get IFS, formal IFS training, like level one training from the IFS Institute, which is sort of the standard training that you should have if you're doing uh, unburdening protocols, 
though those um, those protocols exist and they can be helpful but i actually see more spontaneous unburdenings than i than i do with my clients in my psychotherapy practice than i do uh, formal unburdenings with a protocol you know so yeah. and and a lot fewer people come back a month later and say you know it feels like this came back again right. i think right. sometimes we can rush past the protectors and exiles too fast and make it look like we're letting go of something like there's a manager part that's driving for that to happen right when it really hasn't happened right right or it's not complete there's some still yeah, some things that are un, un, unresolved yeah yeah other questions i'm just curious Ranjit. First, he says, my question is about the comment that Marion made about the three groups of parts visualized by this IFS trainer, blamers, flamers, and exiles. The exiles she refers to as the shame bearers. Mm -hmm. And he says, I thought firefighters put out the fire when our parts are activated. I saw my addictive parts as rushing to cool me down when I was in a rage, I mean, things like alcohol and et cetera. That's, that's actually, that's a great question because it does sound a little bit confusing in that name of firefighters. Cause we think that it's putting out the flame and in a sense it is putting out a flame, but it's not putting out the flame, <laughs> you know, right. those, those sort of addictive behaviors, whether they're, alcohol, food, um, all sorts of things, pornography, they numb us. And so, yeah, it feels like the pain is out, but it's not, it's just getting pushed down. It's like, let me lock it down because it's too messy and I don't want to deal with it. And that's the fire they're putting out. It's not the fire that's really happening in the moment. It's the fire that's coming from these feelings that are just too big. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add to that, Peter, before I read the second mm -hmm. part? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I would say that, you know, so, and also firefighters, when they fight those secondary fighters, fires, they're fighting fire with fire. They're often creating, you know, other circumstances that can be really, really difficult so but they're so focused on trying to save you from often a life and death kind of situation at least it seems that way to the firefighter and so there's not a lot of concern about long-term consequences very short time horizons you know they're working really hard to to try to make things okay for you in the moment just like you know when firefighters come into your house they don't worry about because there's a fire and they're spraying water everywhere they're not worried about like the impact that water is going to have on your carpet you know or what it's going to do to your horsehair rug or your or your furniture you know or when they open up the wall because they can't <laughs> see the fire right <laughs> right but their motivations their motivations to help right saint thomas aquinas says that that we seek at least a perceived good, even though that good might not be an actual good or it might be a lesser good, we're still trying to, 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 to find a good there. And, and a lot of times parts don't understand that about other parts. They just see the harmful effects 
you know, for example. And so they can assume that the part is bad or wrong or, or even evil, you know, so. And the second question is when we encounter our parts in IFS, they're at different ages and stages of development. Do they always remain that way? Will you always have parts as children, adults, and old people? You want to jump in first on that? Sure. Um, so remember that when parts are sharing with you like their age or their stage of development, they're sharing with you how they understand themselves, right? So this is a phenomenological experience. It doesn't necessarily reflect your chronological age, how many years you've actually been on the earth. Uh, it's how they understand themselves. And that can be very fluid, you know, um, parts can take on different ages, kind of, you know, depending on if they feel themselves back in different situations because sometimes you know parts that handle difficult situations had to do that at various points during your life so there can be like a time where they experienced that that freeze response and in, in you know when there was violence in the home when you were three but it also happened again when you were 10 and it also happened again when you were 15. so that part might come out and look like a three-year-old and sometimes a 10-year-old a 10 year old at other times and a 15 year old at other times. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, fluidity, uh, I think in this, because what you're dealing with is more, how do I understand myself? How do I perceive myself? How do I experience myself, you know, for the parts? And that can change quite a bit. So yeah, they can change a lot. They can have different desires. Uh, they can have different uh, beliefs, attitudes, assumptions, body sensations, uh, they can have different emotions. All of that can change, and frequently does. So, what I mean, what would you what would you add to that, Marion? Just about how parts. Can yeah, change. I mean, I think that's that's pretty that's a pretty good explanation. I think just the one, like with parts that have had to adapt throughout the ages. Like we have this term that sometimes we use as a parentified child. So a child who had to be more like an adult and often to take care of their parents when they were really young. Well, the things that they did maybe at five to manage that situation look very different than what they did at 13 or 18 or 25, you know? And so sometimes the part presents differently. Sometimes it presents the same, but has different emotions, body sensations, feelings attached to it. But in general, yeah, sometimes we're going to have young parts in our system. They're going to stick around. Like, I don't know. I feel like those are our playful parts. The parts of me mm -hmm. that can relax and have fun being a little silly. And I don't want to get rid of those. Yeah. Many times parts are really, you know, they really experience themselves as young you know, um, phenomenologically young. Yeah. It's normally where we first encounter them anyway, it seems. Yeah, so any anybody would, would like to ask a question out loud? Do we have? Yes, Madeline. Oh, thanks, Dr. Fear. So I, I just want to say, I, I kind of came in with some some sort of sense of what I wanted to ask. And then really the, You've both answered 
that for me, but it was really helpful to me, the demo that you did, because I've never looked at my angry parts. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't really want to because, you know, and so not by myself anyway. So, but it really helped me to see like, as I followed it, because I had, you know, my, my childhood, there was a lot of fighting and stuff sounds somewhat like Marion's and how frightening that was. But so Marion's responses to, to you, Dr. Peter really helped me to Mm -hmm. um, see my own. Uh, That's really helpful. So thank you for that. And I thought, I thought just now what you were talking about, uh, parts phenomenological experience, very fluid. That's so explains what a lot of us feel when we first start doing IFS and trying to track our parts and we end up, (laughs) you know, (laughs) all these parts. Well, that explains it. I mean, that was really clear that, so that was helpful. Good. Presenting many different ways. Yeah. Parts can present in different ways and often do. And so it can take some time to develop the trust and the confidence in the relationships for them to be able to, to reveal more, you know, to be able to tolerate being seen and heard and known and understood because parts really want that. But some parts have experienced being seen, heard and known as dangerous. Like that somehow that was like really a problem for parts. And so um, we want to just be mindful that while they do have a desire to be seen, heard, known and understood and to be reassured and comforted and soothed and to be loved and to be in relationship that they've a lot of parts have hoped for that in the past and have gotten bad relational experiences they've experienced betrayal neglect um abandonment abuse you know so we want to really really just approach those parts with a big open heart and just appreciate that their impulses, their desires, their attitudes, their beliefs. There's reasons for all of those. Uh, There's ways that parts have experienced things or they've made sense of their experience through very young eyes, through through very young ways of understanding that might not reflect what we would know as adults, you know, so. Thank you. Another thing that stands out to me is sometimes we'll label parts like this is my angry part. And, 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 and that can be a really good starting point, but we want to be careful to understand that anger is not the totality of that part. It has other dimensions to it. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes we can get lost in thinking that it's only anger when no, it's there's so much more to it. It's a part maybe that wants to fight for justice. It can be a same similar type parts, right? And they can have different ways of manifesting. And so I started off with the labels of this is my, you know, anger part, this is my caretaker part. But then the more I got into it, the more I realized that now there's, you know, there's a few caretakers in me. They do it in different ways. And, and the same way is going to go with kind of any parts in our system. There's, they're, they're complex. 
Dr. Vader, I don't understand how a part, say, can be both an exile and a firefighter. Like, how does that sure. work? So let's 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 imagine a little subsystem within a person system, and an exile really carries overwhelming shame. And so when that when that exile breaks out, a firefighter comes up that carries the anger to distract from the shame. But the anger creates all kinds of problems, problems in relationship, problems in the marriage, you know, problems with the children. So another firefighter comes up. This firefighter numbs out, numbs out everything, wipes out all the emotions. And so that suppresses the angry firefighter outside of awareness. So they can't be accessed anymore. So that exiles that firefighter. And then the managers can come back up and say, yep, no more anger. We're not doing any anger. We're not allowing any anger. So in that sense, you have a firefighter that comes up when shame is overwhelming. That's the angry, that's the angry firefighter, but is also an exile. It's also banished most of the time. Does that make sense, Madeline? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We don't want to get too caught up in the roles. It's really more important to know the parts, the roles of firefighter, manager, exile. Those can be helpful as you're sort of thinking about like what function does the part serve in the system. But my my preference would be to get to know the part and let the part tell you what its job is in the system, you know, mm -hmm. what it does, what it does in the system, you know, so. Thanks. Yeah. Other questions that folks would like to ask out loud? Again, I know that could be that could be uh, challenging, and I think we still have some in the in the chat too as well. So you can put yeah, them I think in there. there's one more there that I have. I think we haven't addressed. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, here it is. How is unburdening like forgiveness? seems synonymous, especially as forgiveness is a process. Well, this is a big question. And in fact, I've thought about, I've thought about doing a whole series on forgiveness at some point, but, but let's, yeah, let's see. I'm going to let you, if, if you feel up to it, Mary, I'll let you take that one first and then I'll, I'll have some things to add. Yeah. Hmm. So, so my first reaction is that unburdening is more like letting go of something. Whereas forgiveness is more of a conscious doing in, in, of action. I think that there seems to me that there could be times that the burden we carry is unforgiveness. You know, like we hold on to, I can't forgive this person. And so when we let go of that, it may also look like forgiveness and in fact, be the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's one of those that I'm kind of pondering on a little because I think there's a whole lot more to it. It's not, it's not a simple thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's like, and I'm not an expert in the forgiveness literature. In fact, there are whole 
there are whole therapies based around forgiveness now. Um, it's even being recognized in the secular world as, as being an important interpersonal skill. There's even recognition within the, the secular world that if we hold on to bitterness and anger, if we if we refuse to forgive, that that hardens our hearts and it creates problems within our systems. So I appreciate that. On the other hand, um, I think the desire to forgive and where that motivation is coming from is really important to understand. Because oftentimes there can be a part that wants to forgive, but it's got an agenda behind that. It wants to forgive so that things can be smoothed over. It wants to forgive so that that we can forget. It wants to forgive because it doesn't want our angry parts to have anything to be angry about anymore. You know, there can be all kinds of problematic motivations or, or desires behind that. Sometimes the forgiveness stays at the level of the will. I willed the forgiveness of this person, but I'm not, I'm not willing to address the, the, uh, the emotional components of the harm. And so in that sense, forgiveness can be a form of spiritual bypassing. And I did a whole series of five uh, weekly reflections not long ago on spiritual bypassing and how forgiveness can be a part of that. So when I think about forgiveness, I'd like to see that be something that the parts under the leadership of the innermost self can come to and feel free to be able to do, to not do, to not forgive out of a sense of being forced or coerced or to do it out of a sense of servile fear or, or because of other reasons, because of the threat of the loss of relationship, because it feels like there's you know, a, a kind of gun to my head if I don't forgive. So I, I'm, I'm concerned about, yes, not forgiving on the one hand, but a kind of incomplete or quasi-forgiveness or, or a pseudo-forgiveness on the other hand. And so I'd like to see that come from a more integrated place. Can parts make you forget? Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. One of my favorite parts right now. And sometimes those are the ones that are hard, the hardest to work with because it's like you kind of just keep going in this cycle of I want to work on something and then all of a sudden you're not there, right? Or you can't remember or you find that there's gaps. Absolutely. Parts do that to help help protect us. Mm-hmm. Because mm -hmm. sometimes what we've experienced is too strong for us to remember in right. that moment in time. Right. But it's remembered in other places. It's remembered yes. in the unconscious, right? And so what we want, when, when something becomes traumatic is when it cannot be metabolized, when the memory or the experience cannot be processed within or metabolized in the ordinary way. And so it continues to exist in this unprocessed, unmetabolized way. That's, that's what trauma is. And that happens on a physiological level, on a bodily level, it happens at a psychological level, an emotional level, a cognitive level, a relational level. And so what we're seeking is this integration inside in which all of our experiences 
have been able to be to be metabolized and processed in the ordinary way. And so while we have scars, perhaps, we don't have gaping wounds that are open, festering, and so forth. And so, and that kind of goes to the question that Renjit, or the statement he said, he came across a definition of forgiveness by two academic researchers. They say forgiveness has been attained when the original issue does not cause any stress in our systems anymore. And I would say, well, again, that depends. I mean, I think we can make an act of forgiveness where we choose with our innermost being to forgive somebody uh, at, at the level of the intellect and the will, even though we haven't processed everything, you know, even though we haven't worked through everything, because that might not be possible in the short run. And I would say that that forgiveness is still real. There's still something really important about that. But I would also hope that we would be able to have some integration around that forgiveness so that the underlying harm, again, has been healed within our systems. So other questions, somebody might want to ask something out loud. I think we have another one that's come in on the chat. Um, yeah, here we go. About anger, would you comment on what Robert Falconer and others called taking on the angry energy of others? Would you speak about this as a legacy burden energy and how we work with our parts on this? Okay. Uh, well, that's a pretty advanced topic. Um, when we get into what Robert Falconer, Richard Schwartz, and others within the IFS world called legacy burdens, they're talking about a burden which is not a personal burden, but it's a burden that was handed down through your family line or through your uh, culture. And so they would look at things like, uh, I, can, I have an example in my own life um, of, of a kind of legacy burden, just to give people an idea of what we're talking about. So my grandmother on my mother's side was born shortly before the stock market crash in 1929. And so she grew up during the great depression. And so there was a way in which she saved everything. There was a way that she was very concerned about money, very concerned about having enough physical goods to be able to ensure that there was enough to eat and things like that. Um, and so that burden was passed on in a sense, that insecurity was passed on in a sense through my, the mother's side of my family. And I experienced some of that as well. It wasn't something I experienced personally. I didn't experience the Great Depression personally. But there were ways in which that experience was handed down through the generations. It reminds me of the Old Testament verse, you know, the sins of the fathers are visited upon the third and fourth generation. And so when we're talking about legacy burdens, we're talking about something that we didn't experience personally. Another example that's frequently brought up are the descendants, the children and the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the Holocaust or other types of you know, major experiences like that can carry effects of that. And there's some suggestion within the field of epigenetics that experiences like that can actually change our DNA. It's not just a, you know, a psychological thing or an emotional thing, but it can have real bodily impact. And so that's what they're talking about. And so there could be a way, for example, that a part of a person 
whose father was really dominated by an angry part experiences a bond with dad when they shared anger together. Okay. So there, there could be a way that, that the way that I connected with dad was when both of us were angry, when both of us were angry, you know, at the New York jets for another terrible season, you know, and we'd yell at the TV together and we were angry together. And that was a way that we connected. Okay. And, uh, and so if I were to give up my anger, that part might feel fear of the loss of a connection or a potential connection with dad. You know, there's a, a bond somehow that's connected in that anger. It's twisted up and, and twisted around in that. That's just a, a kind of example. That kind of stuff takes takes work to be able to kind of understand what the history was, or at least how parts experienced the history. I don't want folks to assume that that's how it always works. There's lots of different ways that this could be unpacked. But yes, I do believe that there are such things as these legacy burdens and that they do have an impact on us. But I spend more time, in, at least initially, really working on the personal burdens. Uh, because I think once those are more, more integrated, the parts are more integrated, it becomes easier to focus on, on the legacy burdens, those that have come from outside of our own experience. Do you have something to add to that, Marion? You may know more about this legacy burdens than I do, so. Well, I have a part because I know we've discussed wanting to talk a little bit more about the resilient Catholic community. And I and I haven't I haven't shared this with you. So, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> but we have a little bit of a break for a couple of our cohorts, and we wanted to provide some content. And my plan that I've been working on is to provide a little bit of content specifically around legacy burdens. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a pitch for the community going forward, but I do, I, you know, everything you said about legacy burdens, it, you know, is kind of consistent with what I've heard and learned. To me, the epigenetics part of it is so fascinating. Like, I wish I was smart enough to be able to really take all that in because it's some of the research I've seen coming out of that is incredible. But Legacy burdens can also sometimes look look like roles that are taken on because that's what mom did and that's what grandma did and that's what great grandma did. And so there's just this expectation to the point that you get to a person who feels like, why am I being pushed into a role that doesn't feel like me? And, and it's just more of a, the legacy of this is what the expectation was that you would do. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of different ways, and I'm kind of excited. I've been doing a little bit of more research and work on this and look forward to sharing it. You know, if these kinds of demos, if the experiential exercises, if you know, the things that we're talking about in the podcast or that you are seeing in the weekly reflections that I write, you know, if they really, if they really resonate with you, and if you're not already in the resilient Catholics community, that's really where we have a, a structured program over the course of a year to help you with your human formation. It's really all about 
overcoming the natural level obstacles in our human formation that keep us from a deeper and more intimate and personal relationship with God the Father and Mary our mother, uh, that keep us from being able to love our neighbor uh, more, that keep us from being able to love ourselves. And St. Thomas Aquinas is really a clear that we need to be able to love ourselves if we're going to be able to love our neighbor. And if we don't value ourselves, if we don't see ourselves as, as good and as, as worthy to be given as a gift, then we won't give ourselves as a gift, you know? Um, and so, so this isn't just about feeling better or being more integrated on a natural level. It's about opening the door. It's about doing the human formation arithmetic so that you can do the spiritual algebra, you know, to shore up that natural foundation for your spiritual life. And so encourage people to check that out. If you go to our landing page at soulsandhearts.com backslash RCC and lowercase little r little c little c for resilient Catholics community, uh, you can find what people are saying about that. We've got a lot of information about that. And we're going to be reopening the community on June 1st. We take new applications twice a year, once in June and once in December. So from June 1st to the 30th, we're going to be accepting new applications. And it's an opportunity to join. We've got already 150 people in the RCC. And we're, we've got 130 that are on our interest list for this next cohort. There's a lot of interest. People are really starting to resonate with what we're offering. And it's because we're dealing with these really central, critical issues. We're getting to those first causes and the natural realm for why things are the way they are. We don't provide any therapy in the RCC, but um, but we we do provide a way for you to be able to connect more deeply with your own parts. And it's often a great you know a great uh, auxiliary program if you if you do happen to be in IFS informed therapy or if you're in therapy with a Catholic therapist who's not uh, trained in IFS. So so yeah, so I would encourage people to check that out, and uh, you can also get a hold of me. Uh, office. My conversation hours are every Tuesday and Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 317-567-9594. It's my cell phone, 317-567-9594. We can talk about it. And so there's uh, there's so many people that have experienced so much help and growth. You can see some of the testimonials on our landing page at soulsandhearts.com backslash RCC as well. So yeah, and I would extend that that kind of welcome. There's so much, there's a lot of learning that goes on in in the RCC, but the learning is more about a way of living than a way of knowing. And having a community where you are surrounded by other Catholics who are really striving to do their work and to be well-formed and having that opportunity to relate with them just really deepens the experience. Um, and that, that's what I keep seeing, you know, is, is the connections that get made and the way that we learn that, you know, yeah, sometimes something's hard. I know you mentioned that, like, how do we handle anger in the RC? Right? You know? we listen to that part, what that part is speaking. 
and what its need is. And, you know, we try to work within that and model as much as possible what we're trying to teach through through the community mm-hmm. and through the podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so any final questions or comments before we bring our episode to a close? Anything that Apart would like you to speak for them before we end for for today? Yes, Madeline. You know, I always want to say thank you because, (laughs) you know, I mean, I, um, because everything that you, every time we do something like this, then I feel as if, like in the background of parts that maybe in the wings, they're not going to come on stage, but they're, but they listen. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. as if the whole system kind of is being educated, not just mm-hmm. the parts that are, you know, that I'm listening with, but everybody in the background. So I think it's so important, so helpful. Mm-hmm. These kinds of experiences. So thank you both. Yeah, you know, I wanted to read um, on that line. Reggie made a comment in chat that he thinks it's wonderful to be able to handle the deepest and probably most painful issues in our life with an approach that is faithful to our faith. Mm-hmm. So that was beautifully said. Thank you, both of you. That's a really important aspect of it is that we have a sense of safety in this in that in the shared faith you know and that we also have a sense of belonging and as your parts are seen and heard and can be shared with other people in the community like parts recognizing similar parts and other people that just leads to a depth of relationship and a depth of um connection that is really truly beautiful and wonderful we saw that come out in our retreat that we had last year, the the human formation retreat that we have in August, each August, and we're looking forward to, to doing that again. Just the ways that people can say, look, I'm not alone. I actually belong. There's ways that you know, other people have experienced similar things, but I've gone through life for so many decades and I've never heard about it because so much of this is hidden and not brought out. And so seeing a lot of connection along those lines within within the RCC, and it's a beautiful thing. So so much of the healing happens and it's not just because like you were saying madeline it's not just because one part was being worked with in some very direct way but parts are learning things by osmosis they're picking them up and that has a healing effect as well and so yeah we really do rely on on that within the rcc so so thank you i also want to say thank you pete helping me see myself more than I ever could have done it by myself. So I really appreciate that. And all your work, how, how beautiful to see how God is using you. (laughs) Well, thank you, Karis. It's it's a (laughs) blessing to see you. It's a blessing to know you. (laughs) Karis is one of our RCC members and very near and dear to my heart. I've known each other for a lot of years because we're Mm -hmm. both in Indianapolis here. So, yeah. So good to see you tonight. Thank you. Well, what I'm going to invite you to do, what we've done in the past, is I'm going to invite all of you, if you feel like it, to unmute. And I'm going to go ahead and say the um, the invocations of our patroness and our patron. 
Our patroness is Our Lady uh, and our patron is St. John the Baptist because he prepares the way for the Lord. And that's what we feel like we're doing with our human formation work, preparing the way for you to, to develop those spiritual relationships. And so, um, so yeah, so we'll invoke our patroness and our patron. And if you feel inclined, you can join us in saying the responses. Our Lady, our mother untire of knots. St. John the Baptist. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.